Okay. Welcome to... Damn, I don't know what episode it is. I got to get better at that. Uh, but welcome to another episode of the Social Construct of Leslie podcast. Uh, we are going to be picking up on June 7th and June 8th of 2020. Uh, this episode is going to be entitled Overnight at the Justice Center. This will be the sixth protest overall. However, it will be the fourth die-in that would take place. So, I'm going to pick us up on the on the uh, evening or night of June 6th, morning of June 7th. And so, just as with some of the previous days, I spoke about how we took time to plan where we were going to go to. And we had uh, these group chats where we talked about different ideas and different routes and different places that we thought would be good to go to. Uh, as we were getting ready for uh, the protest that would take place on June 7th, we were trying to figure out where should we rally at? Where should we have people meet at? What area of town should we be marching in? Which uh, what should be the reason that we march in these areas. And one of the things that uh, members of RYA, outside of myself, uh, were advocating for and were uh, was saying was that it was important for us to, uh, to directly go to some of these institutions that we were challenging, to directly go to these places that people had in their minds as... Uh, as perpetrating these evils onto the community. And so they were saying that what we should do is to go to the Winnebago County Justice Center. And now uh, we hadn't been back to the Winnebago County Justice Center for a march since May 30th when the uh, first initial march took place uh, in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, the same as District 1. We hadn't returned to District 1 either. Uh, and so the idea of returning back to the Winnebago County Justice Center uh, definitely held a certain... Uh, a possibility uh, or, or uh, yeah, certain possibility of violence taking place or arrest taking place. And since May 30th, there had not been any subsequent arrests. There hadn't been any subsequent people physically assaulted by police officers uh, or law enforcement. There had been multiple people who had dealt with uh, harassment and multiple people who had dealt with uh, some intimidation tactics. We'd had some protesters who had uh, would have police officers following them home, protesters who had police officers uh, knocking on their doors and using intimidation tactics, uh, protesters who had <clears throat> uh, police officers uh, uh, ba basically, uh, uh, what's the word, doing stakeouts outside of their homes. So in these, in these couple of days, and again, it's only been a week and a half at this point, since May 30th took place, really not even a week and a half, it's been nine days since May 30th took place. And so a lot of thing, these things have happened. One of the other things that was going on through all of this is there was constant media coverage on all of these protests, the constant media coverage on these issues, both on the local front and on the national front. Uh, I had at this point been on uh, TV stations multiple times and have been in the newspapers multiple times and RYA as an organization have been on the uh, mentioned in newspapers and mentioned in news articles and mentioned on NPR and mentioned uh, uh, on uh, 1323 and news, uh, news TV channels uh, regularly at this point and so 
people are outside of inside of the community. People are beginning to engage in these conversations, whether it be on social media, online, or whether it be uh, in person. People are beginning to engage in the conversations of abolishing the police, engage in the conversations of uh, defunding the police, engage in the conversations of uh, what it means, uh, what mass incarceration and police terrorism and racial injustice mean and what they look like in the city. Uh, and for me, this was a, uh, a heavy time of, or it was, for me, this was a, a heavy learning experience. I did a lot of, and it was learning in multiple ways. It wasn't just me learning new things, but it was me unlearning old things, which I believe is something that is, uh, uh, which is a skill that I believe is uh, instrumental and is going to be instrumental in us defeating the evils and the corruptions of police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. We all have to get to a point uh, of accepting that, whether it be through mainstream media or propaganda or prejudices or biases, we all have things that we need to unlearn. Uh, and in the process of unlearning those things, we have new things that we need to relearn. Uh, and hopefully we can get to a place as we're unlearning and relearning things that a generation coming up uh, behind us, we can just teach them these things without them having to go through the process of unlearning. Uh, and so that was one of the things that I was going through heavily at this time. I was uh, doing my best to not, I would not, I didn't have 23 or 13 or any um, uh uh, really cable provider. So the only thing I really, the way I watched news or watch news, the way I consumed uh, media or television or whatever, I had a laptop and I streamed things. And so I never watched 23 or 13 or 39 or 17 waiting for my uh, news interviews. Uh, I never, or waiting for interviews that I was in or waiting to see coverage of what was going on. Uh, when the news cameras would come out to these protests, I would try to take the opportunity to articulate the issues and, and use the platform that was being built and was being created to elevate uh, voices of people who had not had their voices elevated before. Uh, but I never was dependent uh, upon the news to be or the media to be uh, uh, the medium in which people got the message that I was trying to get to them or me, or that people got the message we were trying to get to them. Uh, I was still consistently doing lives on the RYA page. Uh, I was uh, still consistently at, at each one of these protests. When it would be over with, I would do rounds trying to go and talk to as many people as possible. Uh, and so I'm saying all this to say that I was going through a heavy, uh, a heavy uh, growth process or evolution process. And so... Uh, as uh, before any of these things had taken place, I had never uh, really heard of the concept of abolishing the police. Or if I had, it had not uh, become, uh, it was not something I was cognizant of or something I was conscious of. I had uh, not heard of the concepts of defunding the police. And so uh, for me, all of these things were <clears throat> uh, very new. Uh, and I, I followed the lead and I, I learned a lot from people that were inside of uh, the RYA organization and people who were coming out to some of these protests and demonstrations who uh, were maybe further along in their ideology or further along in their uh, belief system than I was. Uh, and so I'm uh, forever thankful and grateful for that. And uh, this was one of the times where when we did when we went to the Justice Center where I allowed myself not allow myself. That's the wrong word. But where I uh, did my best to try to take as much of a step back as possible. Uh, the, the prior two protests that we had uh, really the prior three protests that we had organized, uh, I had had more of a direct involvement in picking the place and. 
uh, why I believe we should go there and uh, more involvement with maybe some of the routes and the places we were going to go to. Whereas uh, when we went to the Justice Center, that was uh, more things that I was less involved in. And so the plan was to go to the Winnebago County Justice Center, uh, is that which is which serves as both a courthouse in Rockford, Illinois, in Winnebago County, and a jail in Rockford, Illinois, in Winnebago County. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that we have been hoping to do uh, at some of the previous protests that have went on, uh, as we spoke about specifically at the Carlson Ice Arena protest, is trying to get to a place where when we when we would host these uh, rallies and protests that we would stay the uh, entire evening or the entire night until the morning, and we would just stay for an, more of an extended period of time than just for four or five hours. And so uh, one of the things that uh, that we collectively agreed upon is that if we got enough people and if we had enough items and if things worked out the right way, that what we would do is when we, we would go to the justice, we would organize to, to rally at Haskell, uh, we would march to the Justice Center. Once we got to the Justice Center, we would announce that we were going to be staying at the Justice Center and staying overnight. Uh, when we put the graphic out saying that we were going to be meeting at Haskell, we recommended people bring uh, sleeping bags uh, and bring uh, pillow, bring, bring blankets, bring blankets and pillows and sleeping bags to sort of, again, give hint to people that it was a possibility we were going to be staying in a long time. And we began uh, internally, collectively to... Uh, make the type of uh, plans and contingency plans we would need to be able to stay for a long period of time. Uh, and we began to plan what the route was going to be. Uh, we decided we were uh, going to continue doing the die-in, and we decided the place we would do the die-in at would be uh, East State in Winnebago, which was directly in front of the Winnebago County Justice Center. Uh, we would do the eight minutes and 46 seconds to, to again, uh, show solidarity with Minneapolis and commemorate George Floyd being murdered. Uh, but each time uh, that we were coming out, it's important to remember that there are people that are in these crowds and that are, uh, and as I pointed out at the last protest, we began to chant the names of people who have been killed in Rockford, Illinois and in Winnebago County. But there are people who are in these crowds who are coming out because of issues that they have directly dealt with in Rockford, Illinois and, Win and in Winnebago County. And even so, even though George Floyd may have been the catalyst to get people to come out and have been the uh, battle cry that got people to come out, there were people who were out there in these streets in on on June 7th, on, uh, in June 2020, not just because of George Floyd, but also because of their son, also because of their brother, also because of their uncle, also because of uh, their father. All of, these, all of these people who have been killed in the city or who've been shot by the police in the city or died in the custody of police in the city. Uh, and this was something that I was beginning to learn uh, as well. Uh, I was beginning to learned the names of people who had dealt with these things locally. I was beginning to, around this time, I would, would be one of the first times I talked to Antar, and uh, Antar would talk to me about his personal experience uh, with Demetrius, with the murder of Demetrius Bennett by the Rockford Police Department, which took place in 2012. Uh, for those who don't know, Antar is, uh, I would say, a, a member of the May 30th Alliance. Uh, we, I believe that we're not going to get into who's who's not the member of May 30th Alliance or what specifies being a member of the May 30th Alliance. But uh, I believe that Antar would be comfortable with me uh, uh, saying he's a member of the May 30th Alliance. Uh, and he's somebody who I've uh, an el a elder who I've uh, learned a lot from and uh, I've done a lot of listening to. And uh, and so these were just all these different things that were happening at this time. So we. Uh, uh, plan where we're going to do the die in at we plan the route we put the graphic out and so 
the morning of June 7th, before we begin to go out, afternoon of June 7th, before we begin to go out, I'm uh, writing down a speech. One of the things I, I had gotten the process of doing is doing a lot of uh, whether it be writing outlines for speeches or writing speeches or writing uh, small little essays. Just I was getting into the process of doing a lot of writing to trying to find uh, a way to have my own voice instead of just uh, regurgitating what I had heard other people saying, uh, which as I spoke about on some of the previous podcasts was my initial speeches was just regurgitations and reformations of things I heard from Dr. King or things I heard from Malcolm X or things I heard from James Baldwin or uh, H. Rap Brown or Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture. Uh, and so I, I was at the, the, each, with each one of these protests and each one of these rallies and each one of these 24-hour periods that would pass, uh, I would begin to find my voice more and I will begin to uh, figure out what it is that, you know, my philosophy and my ideology and my belief pattern was. Uh, so, uh, and then also we would have, I would try to, I was trying to get to a place where every time people came out, the order of events was something a little bit different. Uh, I didn't want every time people came out to just get into the routine of just hearing a speech, hearing a speech play on the speaker, then hearing me give a speech, then maybe hearing somebody else speak, then we march. And, and so, uh, the same way I was saying before that I felt that uh, a portion of this was was art or was uh, some people call it I've, I've heard people call it street theater. Uh, I believe that the that that was an important element to keep people uh, engaged. <clears throat> and so, uh, excuse me, sorry, I don't mean to clear my throat in the mic, but uh, so I, I, I instead of playing speeches when we went to the uh, the march at Haskell Park where we would end up at the Justice Center, I was going through. I had been listening to a lot of Jill Scott Heron and a little a lot of the last poets and uh, really in general listening to a lot of music from the 60s and the 70s. You know, it was almost like uh, going into a time machine in, in some aspects, you know. And uh, and so I planned to play uh, the poem, uh, The Revolution, uh, The Revolution Won't Be Televised by Jill Scott Heron. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm enunciating his name the right way or not. Uh, but I also wrote uh, my own version of, uh, or wrote a, an accompanying poem to Jill Scott Heron's "The Revolution Will Not Be Televised," and I had entitled it uh, "The Revolution Will Be Televised." Uh, and again, this was me trying to find my voice within these things. And uh, as I had mentioned before, I was a, uh, I am a hip hop artist, a rapper, and uh, I've wrote written music for you know the since I was 10 years old, uh, writing music and raps and uh, trying to play instruments and trying to create music. And so I had always been comfortable finding my voice uh, with music and with songs and with poetry and rhymes. And so uh, this was another thing that I, I, I believe helped me get more comfortable uh, was uh, this space where I had already had my voice in, which was, you know, music and trying to uh, shift over some of the thoughts I was beginning to have uh, and, and express them in a medium that, was, uh, that I was already accustomed to. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things that, uh, as I look back and as I look forward, one of the things that I believe has to be, uh, we, have, we, you know, we want to do the job of accomplishing as an organization, and I want to do the job as accomplishing as an organizer, is uh, explaining to people that uh, you can find... Uh, ways and the mediums in which you already work in and the mediums in which you already exist in to uh, transfer over revolutionary ideology and to transfer over revolutionary concepts. Uh, but those things come with first uh, 
the revolutionary concepts or revolutionary ideologies being brought to you uh, and then you digesting them and learning them and uh, and you know and you know you everybody doesn't have to uh, quit their job and uh, participate in a, a occupation at City Hall. Everybody doesn't have to be out in the cold. Everybody doesn't have to march. And, you know, if you paint, you can wage the revolution uh, through uh, expressing uh, your ideologies or your beliefs through the art that you paint or through the fashion that you make or the music that you make. And uh, for me, this was the first step of uh, finding a way to be comfortable to wage the revolution uh, through music or through, uh, through, you know, again, through poetry, through rhymes. Uh, and that's something that as I uh, sit here today, I've gotten more and more comfortable with. Uh, and I think that, that, that it is important. So many people, uh, everybody has different mediums that, they, uh, that they're comfortable with taking in new information from. Some people can take it in from a movie, but they can't take it in from a book. Some people can take it in from a documentary, but they can't take it in from a speech. Some people can take it in from an essay or from a, 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 a vlog or from a YouTube clip, but they can't take it in from a podcast. And so everybody has these different mediums. And if we're going to uh, truthfully do the job of, of, of altering the society we live in and altering the consciousness of the society that we live in we're going to need people in all these different mediums uh expressing some of these viewpoints uh, and so hopefully i get i hope we can get to a point one time one day where we can have an event uh where multiple people come out and uh with poetry that they've written and uh and i can write another poem to contribute and to uh uh <clears throat> excuse me, to contribute and to, you know, speak, to speak to people. Or, All right, so we would arrive at Haskell Park. Uh, the order of events would be uh, I would play the Jill Scott Heron poem as we waited for people to mass up. It would be news cameras there. It would be the same thing as before, news cameras, independent uh, media, people with their own phones and cameras and things like that out. I would uh, try to go around and speak to people before we got started. And uh, every time we would do these things, you know, we try to wait for people to mass up. So I think that uh, we started at 6, I believe, uh, it was a little later than some of the other ones because we knew the plan was to stay overnight. So we started at about 6. You know, we didn't really get going to maybe 6.30, 6.45. Uh, the poem played. Uh, I uh, performed a poem. Uh, we had one person come and give a speech. And then after that, we lined everybody up, got the banners in the front, got the bike messengers in the front. Uh, we got the cars in the front, let everybody know what the path we were going to go, uh, be going on was. And again, this was our first, return to Haskell, our first return to Haskell Park since the three marches protest that took place uh, on the Tuesday that had uh, just passed. And it was our first, uh, this was going to be our first time marching to the Justice Center uh, since May 30th at the initial police terrorism attack that took place that sparked uh, this iteration of the movement of, uh, against police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice in Winnebago County. So I personally, again, I wore long, I was wearing long sleeves. Each one of these marches I have on hoodie, long sleeves, goggles is nearby, mask is nearby, because I'm still in a place where I'm anticipating a May 30th happening over again, anticipating uh, this type of, some type of tear gas or pepper spray or being thrown to the ground, being arrested, assaulted. Uh, so I'm always, you know, this is still a, a steady anxiousness uh, that is, that goes into each one of these things. You know, when we first take that uh, step onto the uh, streets and we begin marching, 
marching and I'm holding the megaphone and I'm uh, chanting in the megaphone and people are chanting, you know, uh, behind me. And, uh, you know, I think one of the other things that is important to note is that there are so many, I think maybe about 200 people, 150 to 200 people at this march. It was not as many as some of the other days that uh, have passed out of all the uh, four out of all the protests that have taken place up to this point, this was the least amount of people. Uh, so this is something that is even more true for past protests that we've spoken about on the podcast. Uh, but so many things are going on. You know, it's people running from the back of the march to tell you something that happened at the back. People running from the middle to tell you something that happened in the middle. Then there's things going on at the front that you're trying to uh, get some type of... Uh, 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 wrangle on, you know, I don't want to use the word control, but you know, uh, you don't want, you know, again, you don't, you don't want things to, uh, become out of hand or, you know, and out of hand is the, again, the wrong word to use. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not using the right verbiage, but you know, there's a time and a place for everything. Uh, and when you set out on these, uh, marches and on these routes, you have certain things you want to do and certain, uh, points you want to hit and certain uh, points you want to make. And so things that are, that may be, uh, working to sabotage that, uh, seem to be, clear and abundant clear and present and so there's always this uh this balance between trying to make sure you keep the chant going and the rhythm going on the chant and then sometimes i'd have to pass the mic or the megaphone to somebody because something else has happened somewhere else and you want to go see about that uh sometimes people will be running from the back to the front telling you to slow down uh which was a common a common occurrence you know this was my, my first time being involved in all these things and so uh, it'd be pretty often that i would get the uh the, the person coming from the back telling us we need to slow down and let everybody catch up. And, uh, but so I, I think one of the things that I just am trying to get across in this, in this little segment here is just the intense stakes that go into being on the streets and marching and the anxiousness and the anxiety that goes into it, uh, and I don't mean that to say it in a negative way. You know, I, I, it's because of the uh, intensity of the situation that these emotions are like this. Uh, and, it, and, you know, each one of these, each time that these things happen, I got more and more comfortable with it and more and more accustomed to it. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that the feeling went away, or that the feeling was any less prevalent, uh, but my comfort with it became, uh, became stronger each time. And so we would march to Winnebago in uh, East State Street, and then uh, once we would get in the set intersection, we had everybody, you know, it was four streets. So we have everybody cover the intersection around. We have cars on the, on the street stopping the intersection. Uh, and then we would uh, take the, we would go ahead and do the eight minutes and 40 seconds, six seconds. I would give a speech right beforehand, had two pairs of handcuffs this time as well. And so myself and somebody else, uh, both handcuffed, I would be handcuffed and would lay down on the ground for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, and again, I think one of the things that is just important to point out is that each time uh, these die-ins take place, and that's what they, uh, they had, you know, they, they're called. Uh, I did not name these. I'm not, I didn't name this action or create this action. Uh, this is something that I uh, seen other people doing in other places, and we collectively, RYA, seen other people doing other places and felt that uh, would be uh, powerful and useful to implement here. And so each time these things happen, the, uh, the emotion and the energy that would be uh, in the crowd and in the area, you know, it's just hard to put into words. Uh, it's one of those things where you really did have to be there to experience it. Uh, and again, I would see, I would look out in the crowd 
and I would see familiar faces and then I'd also look out in the crowd and see people who I had never seen out there before. And it was uh, every time it was an amalgamation of people from different of religions, ethnicities, nationalities, uh, genders, uh, 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 sexual orientation. You know, everybody was all uh, all different people from different walks of life who were coming out and participating in this thing uh, and the type of unity and collectivism that. Uh, was on display is something that I will remember for the entirety of my life and it's something that uh, I'm I feel privileged heavily privileged to have been involved in and to have experienced and so we lay down for eight minutes and 46 seconds and then after the eight minutes and 46 seconds was up uh, we would do a march around the Justice Center and now one of the things I want to point out is that uh, it would be by the time we would come to lay down and do the eight minutes and 46 seconds, there would be police officers on our, every every time we marched. Anytime we marched, there's police officers on every street, on all the different corners, a heavy amount of police officers. Not like three or four cars. There's 20 cars in different streets. Anytime, as we march and they're following us around the streets and following us in, in different sections and so in different sections of the city. And so uh, the police is a... a, 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 a a heavy presence. The the specter of violence and the specter of arrest is 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 over hangs over our head at every turn that we take. Uh, and so we wanted to walk up to the justice center with the understanding that the, we had the right to be on the justice center, that it was public property. Uh, but what we didn't want to happen is we didn't want to be uh, the police to try to stop us or hinder us from doing it. We didn't want people to get assaulted or arrested in the process of us doing it, uh, not because of any type of inherent fear of those things happening uh, but more because of the the desire to be successful in the action of uh, getting to the justice center uh, close to the justice center or on the justice center grounds and then staying there and occupying the space and this would be the the little did we know at the time but would be a precursor to what it is that we are doing now the occupation that's taking place at city hall now in uh october on october 14th 2021 uh so on so we would uh, march around the Justice Center and then march inside onto the ground of the Justice Center. And when we marched around the Justice Center, the police officers uh, sort of uh, followed us. And as they followed us, that gave a, a opening access to where we could get into the uh, grounds uh, of the Justice Center. Uh, and again, one of the things I need to go through is go back and watch some of these videos again. I'm trying to tell these things from uh, memory firsthand or first and then go back and speak to people and watch the videos. Uh, and I guess maybe that's just an exercise for me personally to try to re- to see how much of these things I recall and remember uh, without going back and watching. Uh, but uh, I remember being uh, very, you know, anxious, even just about coming onto the public grounds of the Justice Center. Uh, I didn't know if, you know, quite frankly, at the time, I didn't understand what it meant that, you know, for it to be public property. You know, I knew that May th- on May 30, if we were outside of District 1, and that was public property, and people got their ass beat, and people got arrested. And so uh, I felt a very, uh, I felt some type of intrepidation that uh, it didn't matter if it was public property. If we went onto there, people would get their ass beat, and people would get arrested. Uh, Luckily, that is not what happened. And not even luckily, legally, 
uh, we had the right to do it, just like we had the right to be there on May 30th. Uh, it was the police department that were going outside of their uh, legalities to do the things that they did. And so uh, we would approach the Justice Center. We'd walk up to the uh, doors of the Justice Center. Uh, as we would approach and get onto the grounds of the Justice Center, Winnebago County Sheriff deputies would exit the building. Some of the ones who were uh, patrolling in the area uh, would all come to the front of the Justice Center where we were at and meet up with the uh, other Winnebago County Sheriff deputies that had came outside of the building and so they would have a line formed in front of the doors of the Justice Center and I would think at the time maybe they have 15 to 20 Winnebago County Sheriff deputies that were in front of this line uh, the the one who would be doing the uh, speaking at the very beginning and that we would have the most interaction with would be a Winnebago County Sheriff deputy named uh, Dominic Barcelona uh, now Dominic Barcelona will become a reoccurring uh, character throughout uh, this podcast and uh, throughout some of the events that will take place in 2020 in Rockford, Illinois, surrounding police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. Uh, Dominique Barcelona uh, would come and uh, begin to speak to some of the protesters that had uh, took, the, took the grounds at the Justice Center, uh, really just arguing back and forth, you know, uh, Nothing that I can, you know, really recall that was of anything that was substantial. You know, people were very uh, emotional, uh, uh, justly so. And they were expressing those emotions to the Winnebago County Sheriff deputies that were standing in front of them. Excuse me. Sorry about that, y'all. Uh, now, one of the things that I meant to point out that I... Uh, Damn, excuse me. Sorry about that. My allergies. One of the things I meant to point out that I uh, uh, missed before was as we were planning this, uh, as we were planning this protest, as with the protest that had taken place in the past, I wanted to add uh, another demonstration to it. Again, if necessary, I didn't know if we would necessarily need the, another demonstration, as I spoke about on the previous podcast, uh, the idea of the... Uh, demonstration for the man this dude blow got a damn wind blower and shit i'm gonna have to right, i'm gonna stop this and i'm gonna i'm gonna start it back again in a second this motherfucker got a leaf blower and shit loud ass motherfucking leaf blower all right we back had to had to take a break there my allergy started acting up man one of the the maintenance people from inside the city hall came blowing leaves Trying to sabotage me because he seen me recording a podcast and they some fucking haters. Actually, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that was that that's a the factual statement. I mean, it's factual that he came with the leaf blower, but I don't know that it's factual that he was doing it purposely. Uh, regardless, we had to take a second there so I could gather myself and wait for him to leave with the leaf blower. And so let's pick back up where we left off at we had just arrived to the doors of the Winnebago County Justice Center June 7th 2020 uh, the overnight at the Justice Center protest we arrived at the doors uh, at this point we probably have about 100 to 125 130 people uh, and then I announced to people that what our plan is is to uh, again when we get to the doors a line of Winnebago County Sheriff deputies are surrounding the front of the doors or the front of the entrance forming a barrier between the doors and the uh, building and the people who are out protesting. Uh, 
people will be having contentious verbal interactions back and forth with the uh, sheriff deputies. Uh, and the, it would be contentious verbal altercations between the sheriff deputies and people protesting and community members. Uh, and so I, at this point, I would try to redirect some of the energy. Uh, and I would tell people that what our plan was from this point was uh, to stay outside of the Justice Center for the rest of the evening. That uh, at that point, it was pretty close to 8.46 p.m. And so, uh, and uh, again, to commemorate uh, the to commemorate. I don't know if it's commemorated, it's not the right word, but in an effort to stand in solidarity with Minneapolis and to remember George, the life of George Floyd and the things that led to the murder of George Floyd, the plan was to stay from 8.46 p.m. to, uh, to 8.46 a.m. outside of the Justice Center. I would announce these things to the people that was in the crowd, and I would say the same way uh, that when uh, before... Uh, George Floyd was killed by these police officers. He didn't expect for his day to go that way or Sandra Bland didn't expect for her day to go that way or uh, Trayvon Martin, how any, anytime these issues manifest upon people, they never expect for their day to go that way. And so the same way some people did not expect uh, that we would be staying overnight or that we would be spending the rest of the night here, the rest of the evening here may have had plans. Uh, we were asking people to readjust their plans the same way that uh, if they were forced with, if they were, these issues were to manifest on them, they would be forced to uh, uh, adjust their plans. When people get arrested and are falsely arrested or falsely pulled over and thrown in jail, uh, their their plans for the day are are suddenly changed. And so, uh, as we as I would uh, say that to people, you can sort of see the the crowd uh, speaking with each other and it, you know the you know the energy sort of going through the room uh, through the room through the area of people. Uh, whether deciding what they were going to do, whether they were going to stay, uh, you know, some people I'm sure didn't know that this was something that was a possibility. They were this may not have seen the graphic or may not have known that this was something that we were, you know, we didn't. Everybody, I'm sure everybody didn't see the graphic that told people to bring blankets and uh, to prepare to be there to prepare for a longer protest than usual. <clears throat> and so, uh, as people were having that sort of interaction in the crowd and as people were still interacting with the Winnebago County Sheriff deputies that were blocking the door, keeping people from the building uh, one of the things that uh, we had planned was uh, a food demonstration, I don't know if the if food demonstration is the right word I'm not sure what the right uh, terminology would be for this but uh, I have been again in my uh, in my effort to unlearn and relearn things, I have been learning a lot about the movements, that, the civil rights movement that was going on in the 50s, the civil rights movements that were going on in the 60s, learning a lot about the Montgomery bus boycott and the Greensboro, uh, the Greensboro sit-in, uh, watching doc documentaries on uh, sit-ins and freedom rides and things that I had just had real small surface level information about before through life I was getting a more in-depth uh, understanding of. And so one of the things that I felt was important was to show the extent that people before us, that the, our ancestors, that our predecessors in these struggles, the, uh, the things that they had to deal with, the extremity of things that they had to deal with, uh, and how uh, if they had the capacity to deal with those type of things in a time in which they dealt with those things while trying to eradicate the issues that were in the society then, that it was incumbent upon us to have that same type of fortitude and that same type of uh, steadfastness as we uh, dealt with the things that we were going to have to deal with to eradicate ourselves of police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. And so uh, one of the things 
to this day and specifically at that moment that stuck with me the most was uh, watching people uh, go and sit in at lunch counters and be uh, berated with uh, slur with racial slurs and racial epithets to be uh, assaulted and pushed out of the stu- out of stools that they were sitting in and have food thrown at them and then do all of these things and then be arrested and then the police will come and they would arrest them uh, and this was all being done for those who who may be unaware in an effort to integrate lunch counters uh, and so. Uh, one of the plans that I had was uh, I would come up with, the, we would have a stool, I'd come up with the stool, we'd have a bunch of uh, excess food or extra food. I had a speech that was, or not even a speech, it was a clip from the movie The Butler. Uh, in the movie The Butler, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to get into the, the concept of what the movie The Butler is about, but within the movie The Butler, there is a portion where... Uh, a young man participates in the sit-in movement that is going on in the 60s in the South. And in his participation in that, they show his training and the training that the people he was working with uh, to uh, do these sit-ins, the training that they had to go through. And part of that training was uh, being uh, uh, called a nigger, uh, a porch monkey, a jungle bunny, go back to Africa. You know, all of these uh, 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 statements being made about their physical appearance. Uh, and then you know having food thrown at them and uh, being spit on these were and these are all things that they show uh, and depict in the film uh, and it does the job of uh, and I know for some people this is uh, something that they don't want to remember or they don't want to hear about uh, for whatever side of it is you know I think that is some people on the side of uh, they identify or look more like the people who were doing these type of actions and they don't want to be reminded of them because they feel like that cast them in a bad light, bad light. And then there are some people who they see the, when, the, when they get reminded of these actions or the, these things happening, it makes them, you know, they, they identify themselves more in the standpoint of the victim and they don't want to uh, relive that type of victimization. And so uh, I think that there's different uh, sides of the coins as to why people are uncomfortable with uh, some of these things when they're depicted. But I do think it's an importance uh, of depicting these things and an importance of being confronted with these things. Uh, and so uh, that was some of the things that was takes place in the film. Uh, and in the film, there's a very good audio clip, five, four to five minute audio clip where you hear these epithets being uh, said, you hear these uh, statements being made and the music that's in the background sort of heightens and elevates the intensity of the moment. And so uh, I had downloaded that video clip and put it on a, a, a playlist. And so I told people for the next eight minutes and 46 seconds, uh, I was going to sit in the stool. And as I sat on this stool, I was going to play a video clip from the movie The Butler, excerpt from the movie The Butler, uh, in which people were participating in the sit-ins, uh, and I wanted, I needed multiple volunteers to come up and to uh, to do the action of of the uh, antagonizers uh, or the uh, aggressors in these sit-ins and throw food on me or throw uh, water on me uh, and say some things. I had a you know a list of things to say. You know, I you know said you know don't they didn't need to say no racial slurs. The racial slurs was going to be taken care of because it was on the speaker. Uh, but, you know, so I asked for multiple volunteers. I think three volunteers came up. Uh, this would be the first time that I really had any type of, uh, uh, no, actually this again, this is, and this is why it's important to go back and do these things. Second time I would have an interaction with Terry. Uh, Terry would be one of the people who would volunteer. What's up? What's up? One of the people who would volunteer to come up, uh, 
And so Terry, a friend, one of my friends, uh, uh, Noah, and uh, so another person would come up. I asked for white volunteers to come up. Uh, and so they would throw food and drinks and flour and uh, say a few things here and there. Uh, uh, as the, you know, the eight minutes and 46 seconds lasted for an elongated time. So as once the, I, I clicked play on, this, on the excerpt from the movie and some of the things from the movie started being said. And uh, once they began to throw some of the food and throw some of the water, uh, you could see or the, the drinks or whatever, you could see uh, the, the emotion uh, in the crowd as some people begin to leave, you know, a lot of black people, or, and I don't want to say a lot of black people because that'd be a misrepresentation, but uh, a lot of the people who left were black, uh, they begin to leave. And now I'm sure some people left because they felt, you know, it was getting later at night. It was about nine o'clock, nine fifteen at this point. We have been marching and we have been laying down uh, for the die-ins and it had been a long weekend and a lot of things have been going on. And so I'm sure a lot of people uh, left for uh, fatigue reasons. Uh, but there were also people who left out of uncomfortability or out of disagreement uh, because of this, uh, the demonstration. And uh, one of the things that I have uh, stood on the side of and I will continue to stand on the side of is that uh, I don't believe that these demonstrations are to be done to win people over or these demonstrations are to be done to make people feel more comfortable or that if it's a certain group uh, that feels uh, uncomfortable or discomforted by it, that if they're... Uh, they're black, then you don't want them to be uncomfortable. Or if uh, they're poor, you don't want them to be uncomfortable. I think that uh, all of us uh, uh, need to become more uncomfortable with these circumstances that exist in our society uh, and that nobody should be exempt from those things. And uh, I believe that uh, part of the uncomfortability that uh, we have to get to as a black community is remembering the things that were sacrificed, remembering the 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 uh, depravities that some of our ancestors have had to go through for us to get to the place that we're at now. So that way we can have the fortitude and the, uh, the, the mental capacity uh, to uh, get to the to get to some of these next stages or to some of these next levels to make sure we're we're furthering the struggle and furthering these these things and, and it's, instead of being stagnant and letting them stay where they're at. Uh, and so, uh, but as these eight minutes and 46 seconds will wind down, even the people participating, Terry and my friend Owen, the other young man who was uh, up there, they will begin to lose, you know, some of their uh, desire or their, you know, uh, uh, they would become more lackluster. You know, they was uncomfortable themselves. Every It was uncomfortable for everybody. I was uncomfortable myself as I was sitting up there. Initially, one of the things that I wanted to do was ask for volunteers and two other people to come and sit up. But I felt that uh, it wasn't really necessarily something that uh, other, maybe other people would be. I was uncomfortable with uh, somebody else getting up there who was not maybe mentally prepared for what that moment would be like. Because it was a very, uh, in, some, in, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't humiliating for me because I understood that what I was doing was more of, you know, theater or a reenactment. Uh, but tapping into what the, these people must have felt as they were doing this, I felt that humiliation and I felt that uh, that that aloneness feeling, even though all of these people were were outside of the Justice Center, hundreds of people outside of the Justice Center at this point, you know, with, between the police officers and uh, protesters and uh uh, community members, uh, but still the actions that were happening and taking place made me feel uh, very alone. And I think one of the other things that was very uh, 
poignant about this moment in my life and this period of my life and it has continued on to even now is uh, this was the most uh, black that I had ever experienced or black that I have felt you know and I say that in the sense that it's not that I did not feel like I was a black man in the society before I knew very well I was a black man I don't have I'm not a rich or middle class so I deal with a lot of the majority of the issues that a, a, a black person in this society deals with I have to deal with uh, but there was an aspect of struggling uh, for uh, justice, struggling for liberty, struggling for e equity and equality. There's an aspect of that that uh, once you begin to engage in and participate in, it taps you in with this, uh, and, and you know, again, and this is in, in my perspective, it taps you in with this, uh, with this other part of being black, uh, not just the... Uh, the victimization or the oppression or the exploitation, but the struggling against, the fighting back, the uh, uh, the militancy. And I, I think that that is uh, it, it's a, a, a fuller spectrum of the of what it means to be black in a society when you begin to fight back against some of these institutions and some of these things. Uh, and. <clears throat> And so uh, the eight minutes and 46 seconds will be up. You know, I will get up. I wash the food off of me. Uh, I think one of the things that was real uh, powerful that still stands out to me is uh, uh, the people who were involved in throwing the food on me uh, apologize. You know, no, well, I don't I don't know. I don't know if Terry apologized. Not that Terry needed to apologize or anybody need to apologize. But I specifically remember my friend Noah, you know, apologizing to me and me telling him, you know, not to apologize, you know, that. Uh, that you know he didn't do anything wrong and you know I was thankful that he uh, assisted and helped and that uh, you know it was important that what we did was important it was important that people seen those things that people felt those things that uh, you know this was the closest that we could uh, come to uh, putting certain people in the position of witnessing this you know and this is what really happened these are these things these are things that really happened and uh sometimes when you just see a documentary or watch a movie or uh hear somebody talk about it or read a book it doesn't uh get that emotion across to you in the same manner as seeing it up close and personal and firsthand does and i think that that's one of the things that uh we accomplished with that uh demonstration uh, and so I, I washed the food off of me and really honestly i would have the food and it was some of it was flour and pizza was all types of crazy ass shit i would have it on me and in my hair in some sense until the next day when i would go home and take a shower uh and so at this point it'd be about 9 39 45 uh we would uh, play music uh somebody would order some uh pizza the pizza was sort of already there that was, this was some of the pizza that we used in the uh in the demonstration but you know pizza would be there people would be people would be eating people would be drinking uh people had uh, some people had tents they would begin to set up their tents in the yard of the justice center uh People would begin to leave. As some people were leaving, uh, they were saying that they would be bad. They was going to get sleeping bags, uh, going to get uh, blankets and different things. And so for the next couple of hours, that would sort of be the, the, the gist of it. We would play a few different speeches. Uh, people would come and go. It would be a lot of communing between uh, uh, community members and, and activists and protesters. And uh, during all of these uh, demos, I would always do the... Uh, I would always do my best to begin to uh, try to talk to people more and speak to people more and get to know the people who were there more. And uh, I would speak to a woman uh, who would uh, ask if she could have the microphone and have the floor at some point in time to bring awareness to her son being assaulted by the Rockford Police Department on the 4th of July of the previous year. She told me that uh, her son was walking home. When, she, when, they was, when he was walking home, the Rockford Police Department would walk up behind him, uh, 
grab him when he like pulled away. They wouldn't say they were police officers or present themselves as police officers. He pull away. Oh shit! Oh shit! Damn, it was just awesome. almost an accident in this motherfucker. Uh, so our son would be walking. As he was walking, uh, police officers would grab him from behind. They would not identify themselves as police officers. He would like jerk away. Uh, from, he would jerk away from them And then the police officers would uh, Assault the young man Again this is a child that they, A teenager that they would assault uh, They would not arrest him uh, The officers would leave And then he would go on to Go back home and speak to his parents and Or speak to his mother And uh, That his mother recorded a video Of him talking to her after this assault took place and uh, you could hear the pain and the emotional uh, turmoil that was in his voice and the angst that was in his voice and uh, the trauma in his voice and you could hear the same things in his mother's voice as she tried to console him. Uh, She had some pictures of how he looked. He had scars and bruises after this uh, had taken place and you know again this was me having this this is the first time of talking to a, a a mother who had dealt with these things happening to her son. It was my first of many uh, interactions with family members and a family who had dealt with these things. And the son who was the son, she said her son had marched, but he couldn't, he didn't want to stay to listen to the video get played. And he didn't want to stay while she spoke about what happened. And so he had left, but they had some other family that was there. And I took some time and spoke to them and, Uh, We would give her the mic and she would talk on the mic about what happened to her son and play the videos of what happened to her son. She had big poster boards of uh, the bruises and the marks that he had on them. Uh, And again, this was just another uh, uh, education. You know, this is educational experiences. These were all experiences that I I consider to be educational. You know, I would uh, get information from listening to speeches or information from reading books or information from looking at things online. And then I would go out into the streets later on and then I would uh, see that information being applied into real world uh, actions. And I would see that uh, I would see people who had dealt with the uh, experiences that I had got information about. And to me, those things is what accumulated and became uh, education and what how these things became an educational experience for me. And it went past just reading something in a book or reading something online or watching something online. And uh, I believe that for this specific issue that we're dealing with, that that is what it takes is that you have to uh, experience these things firsthand. You have to talk to the people who have experienced these things firsthand. You have to uh, 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 meet these institutions face to face. They can't simply just be uh, talking behind a keyboard or typing behind a, or typing on a phone. And so she would speak. Uh, we would uh, have a few other people from the community speak and. Uh, essentially, we you know, we just would stay for the rest of the night. I wouldn't go to sleep. I would do a lot of walking every now and then I sit down. But for the most part, I would try to stay on my feet and stay walking. And uh, for me, the importance of that was just to uh, if for nothing else, if, for, if to nobody else, to myself, to uh, uh, express the commitment that I had for what it was that I was uh, involved in and the dedication that I had for what it was that I, uh, I was involved in, the tunnel vision that I had uh, and 
Throughout the night, it would be a couple of different things of note that would happen. Uh, at one point in time, when no news cameras, all the news cam eventually all the news cameras would leave. So once the food demo was done and we got to about 10 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock, all the different news cameras are leaving. Uh, so we get to a point around midnight where it's no news cameras that's out. And I'll say maybe around like 1.30, 2 o'clock, 17 would pop up. Uh, and when 17 popped up, Maybe 10, 15 minutes later, uh, Barcelona, the uh, the guy, the officer that was in charge uh, at the at the protest that was at the Winnebago County Justice Center, uh, he would come out and say that somebody had just went around the corner and spray painted on a building, uh, and that he it was one of you know he thought it was one of us who had spray painted on a building, and so we had to leave, uh, and then this would cause a big a big. Uh, issue where he was talking and sheriff deputies was talking and some of the people that were with the uh, protest were going were, were speaking as well this verbal interaction that would take place verbal altercation that would take place uh, and then again i would ask him if he's seen somebody who was here right now currently spray painting uh whatever it was that was spray painting he would say that they didn't see anybody who was here doing it that they didn't know who did it uh you know and so you know we would say that well if they didn't know who did it that we still had the right to be here it was no proof that any one of us did it uh and so uh you know we would end talking to him we would go back to walking around you know whatever uh and so uh and i never even seen for a fact that this spray painting incident happened but uh these would just be some, the the first initial interactions with some of these officers and with some of the tactics that they would implement and use uh, that I would personally have and that, you know, some of us uh, uh, within RYA and other protesters and activists uh, would have uh, uh, in 2020. Uh, just a ceremony, child assaulted. Okay, I'm trying to make sure I go through everything. Uh, and then we, uh, I'm sure some people peed in the alleys, uh, and peed in random places, but also, uh, the, it was, uh, the democratic, I think it was like the democratic building or something like that was opened up to us for people to use the bathroom. I feel like that sort of answers the question of people having to use the bathroom. It was a building that was opened up to us where people could use the bathroom at, uh, and I can't remember who exactly opened that building up, which is unfortunate. I like to, to thank, thank whoever it was. Uh, okay, so then uh, from that point, the next thing of note or the next thing of importance that I could think of that happened would be uh, we would arrive to about 8.30, 8, 8, 8 o'clock, 8.15 in the morning. Uh, no, actually around maybe like 7 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning, uh, people would come with donuts. It was, I don't know how many donuts it was. It was a bunch of donuts, a bunch of uh, coffees and uh, a bunch of, you know, basically breakfast items would be brought, McDonald's and all of these different things from members in the community. Uh, so Pete, everybody who was out there would be fed. Uh, as we got closer to uh, 846 arriving, we began to get everybody together. Uh, and in the effort of giving everybody together, you know, the plan was to uh, do another die-in. Uh, again, at 838 or at however close, whatever, whatever close time proximity we could get to the finishing of the die-in being at 846 a.m. Uh, that was what the plan was. So after people began to eat breakfast, we would gather everybody around and get everybody together. Uh, and in front of the doors of the Winnebago County Justice Center, uh, we would begin to orchestrate the die-in. I would give a, a small speech. Uh, and at this point, 
Uh, I don't know if it was because of shift change. I think it was a shift change. At this point, it would be like a shift change. So different uh, police officers, uh, different sheriff deputies who had came to the front. It was the morning time, and this is the courthouse. So now you have uh, spectators uh, coming in. And I don't want to say, you know, they were spectators, but they were there for whatever purposes that they were there for the courthouse for. Uh, 13 to 23 and our star and all the news media had arrived back. Uh, at the Justice Center because we had uh, made a statement to say we was going to be leaving at 8.46 in the morning. And so basically all eyes were back on the protest at the Justice Center. And so we would then uh, lay down uh, for eight minutes and 46 seconds and do the dying in the front of the Justice Center. Uh, and again, this would be the first time uh, that I would have any type of uh, emotional outburst in the midst of doing these die-ins. And so uh, on... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then even once on Sunday, I had done the die-in. And each time, uh, I could hear other people crying and other people, you know, even weeping at times and screaming out and, uh, you know, just these, you know, emotional emotional expressions that they would have. Uh, and I don't know if outburst is really the proper word. I don't want that to seem as if I'm saying it's inappropriate. I think that, honestly, these emotional reactions added uh, to uh, the uh, intensity and added to the uh, gravity of these demonstrations uh but you know i'll do that i will lay down for eight minutes and 46 seconds without hadn't slept in like 16 hours and you know uh you know i will begin i will hear a woman crying and you know i'll begin to cry you know uh and i think that you know as i was crying it was partly from exhaustion it was partly from you know uh anxiety and uh, also it was from you know the i feel like uh the wealth of emotions that other people had uh been having uh you know i i uh not really confronted or dealt with, you know, how I felt about what had happened on May 30th and seeing these things happen to people and the traumas that I had from May 30th and me being pepper sprayed on May 30th and even the traumas that I had from, uh, you know, uh, seeing George Floyd be murdered and the traumas that I had from, uh, you know, like I like I said before, each time one of these things happen, it's not like you just deal with the one uh, uh, lynching that happens, you know, uh, in my experience and in my belief, you deal with, uh, you know, I was still traumatized from Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and Sandra Bland and Emmett Till and, uh, you know, all, all the, the community as a whole, I believe, the black community as a whole, is, I, I believe, because we haven't been able to uh, uh, truthfully ever heal from some of these things or still dealing with these traumas. And so uh, all of those things came up, came out for me as I participated in the dying in the morning. Uh, and then uh, I would, again, be handcuffed. Uh, uh, I would do this one by myself. It wouldn't be two people handcuffed. I'd be the only one handcuffed. And then uh, after the eight minutes and 46 seconds was up, uh, somebody would come help me up. Uh, I remember a, a white woman, an older white woman who I, I don't remember ever seeing beforehand and I don't think I ever seen again. Uh, she would come up and she would give me a hug. And uh, after she came up and gave me the hug, she would just apologize. She would say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I remember just telling her, you know, it's you know, it's not your fault. You haven't done anything wrong. And hold on, I'm gonna let this ambulance go by. Okay, it was a fire truck, my fire truck. I'm trying to find the, the best way to balance out these loud-ass noises. I don't know if turning the mic down is the best way or not, but I tried at that time. Uh, and so she would come and, uh, you know, say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I would tell her, you know, it's no need to apologize. You know, it's fine, and thank you, thank you. And uh, one of the, I think, one of the sheriff deputies, I think, I don't know if he like the co-deputy or where he is, but he would come and give me a business card and tell him to call him, you know, that he wanted to talk and, 
uh, somebody else, some other uh, police officer would give me his business card to call and say they want to talk. Damn, this big-ass fire truck. The hell this fire truck doing? Uh, my fault, y'all. We outside. For anybody who may be listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, this podcast is recorded outside of the City Hall in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, uh, it's, it's recorded. This podcast is recorded outside the City Hall in Rockford, Illinois, as we're currently uh, participating in the occupation of the City Hall in Rockford, Illinois, uh, to bring awareness to police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. So uh, if you hear sirens and if you hear noises and if you hear horns honking or people talking, it's because we're we outside recording this. We're not recording this in a studio or recording this in a home. Uh, so bear with me. Bear with me. Uh, uh, and so in, uh, uh, one of the other things that I want to say a note that happened is that one of the police officers in the middle of the night, he would, uh, as uh, Malcolm X speech was playing, and I can't remember what the, what the exact speech it was, uh, he would come up to me and he would ask me what the name of the speech was that was playing. Uh, I would tell him the name of the speech. I believe it was Message to the Grassroots. Uh, I would tell him it was Malcolm X, a Message to the Grassroots. Uh, he would ask me if I could send him a link to it. Uh, I told him, yeah. He would uh, write down his email address. I'd take his email address. Uh, that he wrote down and you know days later i would uh send him a link to the uh to the youtube video uh and that would be something that in the future would cause some uh friction between myself and rya uh at the time a uh, member of rya seeing the exchange that happened between me and the, uh, the winnebago county sheriff deputy the officer uh and would ask me you know what we exchanged and uh i would you know tell them that they have wrote down their email address and i had took the email address and uh, I don't, uh, uh, again, personally, I don't have any type of, you know, I still don't have any uh, issue with the action. I wouldn't have any issue with somebody else engaging in that action. But I can understand if uh, somebody did take some type of issue with uh, any of these things. And again, these is, you know, uh, the reason I'm talking about these, all these things is to give my perspective and my standpoint and to try to illuminate as well things that may be misconceptions that people have. And so I think that people have this misconception that uh, uh, I, that maybe myself or other activists are too irate to have conversations with people who have disagreements or or too irate to have conversations with, with people who have ideological differences and or don't have a desire to uh, help people learn. And uh, I think that that couldn't be further from true. Uh, and at, at, at multiple uh, different turns, I have uh, and I've seen other people as well do the work of trying to teach people who even who are uh, not aligned with us uh, some of these things and to understand some of these things and to try to uh, give more light into some of these things. And so uh, that was one of the things that was just I just wanted to uh, point that out. I feel like that was another piece of what took place that was important and it's something that will uh, manifest itself in the future. Uh and so the morning would the morning would come. The uh, news cameras would leave after the dying would take place. We would gather everything up and leave after the dying took place. Uh, I would get a ride home. This would also be in the beginning of this protest would be the first time that I would meet Kay, uh, who is a, a regular contributor on some of the lives and some of the podcasts and a member of the May Thirtieth Alliance as well. Uh, Kay would speak. Uh, before I did the die-in, uh, multiple people would give in the morning. Before I did the die-in in the morning of June 8th, multiple different people would sort of give speeches and talk about their experiences with police terrorism, mass incarceration, and uh, racial injustice. All right.
All right, I'm finna, I'm finna get ready and wrap this up. I'm finna wrap this podcast up. Shit is getting fucking nuts out here. It's too much, it's too much shit going on. Uh, but he would come out. That'll be my first time interacting with him. My first time meeting him. He would say that he saw the video of people being tased on May 30th online, and that was what brought him out. Uh, then we would do. Uh, so I just again wanted to point that in to throw that in there. Want to make sure I'm introducing people and characters as they're happening. Uh, so we leave, we pack up, I will go home, uh, and that would be the end of the march on June 8th. Uh, now, I didn't know it at the time, but it would be another set of people who would go on and who would march on June 8th, on the morning of June 8th, uh, would march uh, by City Hall and near City Hall. Uh, and some of that is a story for another day. We'll talk about that on the, on the next episode. Uh, so I'm going to end this episode here. And... Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Uh, please share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on. If you've never listened to any of these other episodes before, please go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. Uh, and if you are listening to this and it's new episodes that are out, go listen to the episodes that come on after this. And remember on Sundays and Thursdays, every Sunday, every Thursday, we will have a new episode of the social construct of Leslie out. All right. We outside.